If you'd open your Bibles to the book of Lamentations, Lamentations chapter 3. As we continue to worship you this morning, again, Father, it's been a great joy to gather together as believers to worship the resurrected Christ. Father, we do want to give you the glory and the honor that you deserve. And so, Father, we do this each week, coming together to, again, sing hymns together, to sing to you and praise of you and about you, and really rehearsing for ourselves the great truths of the word. Father, we spend time where we have the word of God read to us. We spend time together in prayer, confessing our sins and praying for others. Father, we bring our tithes and offerings to our service to give to you, that, Father, we may continue the work here and abroad. And then, Father, at this moment of the service where we all commit ourselves to opening up to a book and to working our way through it to understand your revelation to us. And Father, we ask, as we always do, that you will help us with this. And Lord, as we read through a really very sobering book, we ask, Lord, that the truths will not only rest heavy in our hearts, but it would rest truly in our hearts. And Lord, we'll be able to ascertain those things that, that you want us to know. We pray, Lord, that we would again be transformed by your word as your spirit works in our hearts. We are grateful, Father, for the word you've preserved for us. And so now, Father, we ask that you would strengthen us and you encourage our hearts through your word. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Lamentations chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. I am the man of God who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled about me so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrow of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cover in ashes, or cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. When it comes to the book of Lamentations and what we read there, as it's very descriptive of what Jeremiah is experiencing, I want us to think about a couple of things. Number one, I have no idea 
who this is true of, but I believe that there are many believers today that are not ready for severe tribulation. Whether it comes because of sin in your life or because we're just living in a world that's cursed by sin, if it comes in the form of persecution, if it's just God's judgment even on our nation, times of suffering that are severe, we have, for most of us, we've been spared from that. And as some people recognize, sometimes that can make us soft. My main worry is not that we're soft physically, but that we are soft when it comes to our commitment to the Lord. We don't, we're not ready now to be able to face those things in a way that would be pleasing to the Lord. And what I mean by that is not that we come through successfully in whatever way you want to look at that, but that we, when we endure great tribulation, that we're able to do so as Christians, that we are, that we are thinking about God in the midst of that. We are thinking about what the Word of God says. That, that we're thinking about maybe not only the reasons why God is allowing these things to happen. What is it that God wants me to do? How is it that God wants me to react? How, it's, it's normal for us to wonder how long it's going to last. I, I want to be able to endure till the end, whatever that end may be. And the way that we best get ready for those times is to get ready when you're not going through it. When you're, when you're in the midst of these things, trying to play catch-up is going to be very difficult. It can be very hard. I, I don't know of that many who've actually been able to successfully do that. You see, as Jeremiah describes this very real grief that he's experiencing, even though he says there at the end that he says, I have forgotten what happiness is. My endurance has perished. And he says, so has my hope from the Lord. Now, when you read through Lamentations, it becomes clear that he's not turning his back on God. When he says this, he's not turning his back on God. He's not saying, oh, why me, God, you've been overly cruel to me. There's no accusations against God. So I don't want us to get the wrong idea. But I do want us to, get the, to understand the depth of the difficulty that he's experiencing. Because sometimes we think, especially if you've not ever had to endure real despair, that when these things come, it lasts for a little while, we may imagine, oh, it could be really, really bad, and they're going to come out of it on the other side. We're not always, I think we'll always come out on the other side, but my dad told me something once, and he said this. He said that when we go through a catastrophe or we go through tragedy, he said one thing is for certain, you will never be the same again. And he says, normally, it's going to show up in one of two ways primarily. You will either be closer to God or you'll be walking away. There's no in between. There's no unchanged uh, or, or you're unchanged. There's none of that. And I want us to be those who are close to God in the beginning and closer to God in the end. I want to make sure that there's no abandoning of God. God will never abandon us. And we need to recognize, because we live in an in information-saturated age, that we become very accustomed to the idea that we're going to know the reason why everything is happening. And we kind of assume that. Well, I, we get upset with doctors when they can't tell us what's wrong. It's almost like we're thinking, well, what good are you? Or what school did you go to? 
You don't always say that. But we're, sometimes we're thinking that. Like we, we, we ex- and because we have incredible medical technology, I don't know about you, but I expect to know. <laughs> I, mean, I know that they, they can't always tell you, but you know, when someone, well, they're running tests and all the tests are negative. Well, that can be exasperating. Like what's left? You know, we, we expect to know. So when it comes to these kinds of things, we need, to be, we need to be prepared and we need to be ready. This chapter is very different. Chapter 3 is different from chapters 1 and 2. Because this here contains first-person reflection. This is Jeremiah speaking. He's talking about the sufferings that he is enduring. Now, he's a faithful servant of God, but he is caught up in the suffering with the people. This, Jeremiah is not standing by the side and watching all this happen and says, oh, I pity these people. No, he is, these are his people. These are his friends. This is his family. He's poured his heart into these people. He is suffering with them. He, he is experiencing these things along with them. And is also hurt as he sees them suffer the way they do. He gives a very vivid description of his misery and suffering. Some have said that when you read chapter 3, it's perhaps the lowest point of the entire book. The Lord has driven the prophet to walk in darkness, in the darkness of his judgment, rather than the light of his blessing and presence. The Lord has disciplined Jeremiah repeatedly for a long time. The discipline in Jeremiah's life is not necessarily happening because of sin in his life. Disciplining, is there's this correction that takes place in discipline. So correction that takes place is not always happen to you and me because we're sinning against God. But there still needs to be a correction because we're not doing it the way that God desires. Or maybe the attitude needs to be adjusted. So in the same way that when, we, when you discipline your body uh, to, do, to do something extra, again, it's not necessarily that, that you are completely living the wrong way. It's just to live better, to eat better. You know, I do eat junk. I don't eat just junk. All right? So, so I, mean, I do eat healthy. Every now and then I'll eat something green. Yay. I need, to be, I need to do more of that. So there needs to be more discipline in my life. So when we talk about discipline, it's not always because you have sinned against God in the sense that he's trying to correct sin. Now, we don't want to exclude that, but it's not always because of that. So we need to recognize that God's discipline is something that, that all of us are going to experience and should want to experience in our lives as Christians. But we need to recognize how that's going to come. And for Jeremiah, this is not a happy lesson for him to learn, but I don't think that he has any contempt for the Lord. I want us really to kind of walk through the text, to, to look at these descriptions, and when we do so, this is not to create fear in us as to what may happen to us, but I want us to be able to, to see the vividness of what Jeremiah is experiencing really psychologically, so that we then will recognize that if you go through this kind of thing, that you will recognize that God's special chosen people, his prophet, has gone through the same thing. So that what you're experiencing is not unique. So that you don't get caught up into thinking that God has abandoned you when he hasn't. Again, he says that he is a man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has seen God's wrath poured out and being poured out. He said that God has driven him and brought him into darkness without any light. We sometimes think that as long as there's light, we can hold on. And that's generally true. 
there are Christians who do suffer great persecution where except for Christ, there's no light. There's no light that is ever going to end. It's very hard to imagine what that is like for an individual. Imagine being, let's just say that, that you were like an American, you're an American and you're in another country, let's just say Russia, they've done this a few times, where you're kidnapped for pure, purely political reasons. And you're in a place where you're not really treated all that well. And you don't, you're cut off from the news. You have no idea what's going on. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Yeah, you're not exactly experiencing a lot of hope in that situation. You begin to wonder if this is where you're going to basically die. Away from everyone you know, everyone you love. There's, you're, you're losing hope that your country is trying, because you don't know what's going on, but you're losing hope that your country is trying to get you out of there. And as the years go by, it becomes exceedingly difficult. And so here with Jeremiah, there's, he doesn't see any light. He says that, surely, against me he turns his hand. Now, I've gone through difficult times in my life. I don't think I've ever experienced a time where I thought that God had turned his hand against me. I, I've, I've not suffered like that. That would be a very sobering kind of thing to contemplate. He says here that God has made his flesh and his skin waste away, that his bones have been broken, that he has been besieged and enveloped with bitterness and tribulation. So he is experiencing bitterness. He's experiencing tribulation. Again, the depth of this difficulty he's going through. Remember, as the armies of Babylon march in and as they're wreaking all of this havoc on the people of Israel. Jeremiah knows intellectually that God can deliver. He also knows that right now God's not going to do that. He, he see, there's Who's going to come help them? We, we've already gone through some of the other countries that Israel was depending upon to come help them and they weren't there. In fact, Babylon even had gone back and gone towards Egypt and destroyed their army then came back. There's, there's, there's no help coming. It would be kind of like this. I, whatever you think about whatever happened to what we call Benghazi, when our, when our um, embassy was run over, whatever you think about that politically is beside the point. The thing that I think is very disturbing to me, just psychologically and imagining what they went through, is some of those individuals who had served in the military or were serving in the military, you know, they were, they're very accustomed to a, a philosophy that we have in our country. At least we've had for a long time, and that is that uh, you'll never be left behind. That someone's coming. So they're fighting against these overwhelming numbers, convinced someone's coming. No one was coming. Can you imagine when they run out of ammunition to shoot against the enemy? Still believing with all the heart, help is coming. No help is coming. How do you, how do you, how do you grasp that experience? When you, know it's, when you know it's over, when you know now the enemy is breaching the wall and you know that you're going to be killed, maybe tortured first, but there's just, there's no escape. Jeremiah is experiencing all of these things. And there are times that you or I, we may experience this. But we can experience this, even though it is overwhelming that doesn't mean you lose your perspective as a Christian. 
Now, it's hard to imagine, but I believe this can be done with the help of the Lord where our default position changes. See, for many of us, when we go through times of great tribulation, our default position is, I can get out of this. Or my default position is, is I can go here and get help. And I can, whatever happened, whatever it is that we're used to doing when we deal with difficult situations or what we imagine we would do. So our default position needs to change. Not to where you're no longer making efforts to get out of whatever. I'm not against that. But our default position becomes one that we're thinking spiritually or maybe we're thinking biblically is a better way to put it. I'm always thinking about this biblically. I want that to be my default position for everything. It's a better place for us to be. Again, he goes on, because just in case you're not quite clear as to what Jeremiah is experiencing, he said he has made me to dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me in. I cannot escape. He's made my chains heavy. And then verse 8 speaks about prayer. And this would be hard. Though I cry, though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayers. Many of us, isn't that what we say? We've lost all hope, but I know I can pray. And I know he hears me. Imagine being, in, in one sense, being told, yeah, he's not listening right now. I don't know how that comes to you. Again, but we know that when Jesus was on the cross, the way that we would describe it is there was a period of time where God turned his back on him. There was, this, there was this separation that's difficult for us to kind of explain because we don't want to be guilty of any kind of heresy. But there was this deep darkness that wasn't just covering the earth that Jesus experienced in a very unique way. And so then we remember the words he uttered, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the Son of God that is saying that on the cross. And so there can be an incredible depth of despair that we, that we go through. Now, remember, God can. He can deliver us from all those things. But often, God doesn't deliver us from those things quickly. He wants to make sure the lesson or the things that he's seeking to accomplish in us or perhaps the way he wants to use us in the lives of others takes place. And so we need to endure. Even though we will come to the end of our own physical and maybe our mental capacity to be able to endure to where everything that we've depended upon upon ourselves is stripped away from us physically. We are, basically, as people, we really are very resilient. Some of us may be more resilient than others, but we are pretty tough. We can go through a lot of things. And as a result of that, it may be that because God wants us to, to learn absolute dependence upon him, it's going to take a work to get us to the point to where all that's gone. And, and you really realize that there is zero. That's, there's no way for us to be able to understand that until we go through that, if you go through that. There's just no way to really comprehend it. We, I think we get close in, in trying to understand it intellectually. But the reason why I want us to understand this is even if you never go through this, hopefully to help us to understand perhaps some of the despair others may be experiencing. So we would have greater pity or empathy on them. Perhaps we'll be more faithful in praying for them as we try to truly imagine the depth of the sorrow they are experiencing. Because we can experience great and deep sorrow. Since God has blocked his way with stones, God's like a bear, lying, waiting for him to come by so he can pounce on him. He said he turned me aside, tore me to pieces, 
may be desolate. When he said he set his bow against me, that he's saying God has set his bow against me and pierced my kidneys with his arrow. That's what God is doing. And then along with that, he talks about being a laughingstock among the peoples. And we, we saw that before. Remember that the, those who were looking at Jerusalem and looking at all that was happening, and these individuals were laughing at Israel, and they were mocking them. Saying, you believe in God. Where's your God now? That kind of thing that was going on. He says he's filled with bitterness. That's, that's a dangerous position to be in. Bitterness, when it begins to wrap its roots around your heart, can make you a very different, sour person. The Bible warns us about allowing the root of bitterness to take root in us. There's a warning there with that. And here, Jeremiah is telling us that he's definitely experiencing that. And so, when the Lord will not ease your suffering and answer to prayer, that's a discouraging place to be in. In fact, let me just remind you what Jeremiah had said to the people earlier in Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 14, he says, Therefore, do not pray for this people, or lift up a cry or prayer on their behalf. For I will not listen when they call to me in the time of their trouble. God's telling them in advance, when trouble comes, I'm not going to help, so don't bother praying. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, I, that's just hard to grasp. Then in chapter 14, verse 11, the Lord said to me, Do not pray for the welfare of this people. Now, I'm certainly not telling you that you and I should not pray for the welfare of others. I don't think God has told you and me that. But this tells us here that this is, what, this is the doing of God. And God has his purposes and he's going to accomplish his purposes. And, and we need to get on board with that. We, we, we should want the same things that God wants. And that's not just you and I making that declaration. We don't just say the words, yes, I want what God wants. This is where your heart is in tune with the Lord and you recognize that the most important thing of anything else, that God's will is done on earth, that God's will is done in your life and in your heart. And you become exactly what God wants you to be. God is forming the person of Christ in you and in me, and he's going to make sure that that is done. And that's not a threat. We, we should want that. We desire that. But we also know our, level of, our own level of, of stubbornness. So some of us are going to be a little more concerned about this than others because we know how stubborn we are. I shudder. I'm insanely stubborn. I just, I don't like that about me. There, there's some good things in being stubborn, and you can be stubborn about the right things, but man, there's a, there's a sinful aspect of being stubborn. And I don't want to be that individual. It's almost like the Lord was opposing Jeremiah's progress towards restoration. God was the one that was making it difficult. So here's Jeremiah who's now socially isolated. I think some individuals may experience this on a, on a small level. I know that some individuals who experience what we would call, I would call it severe chronic pain. That's, that's very isolating. Unless someone else has that kind of pain, no one really understands. Because it never ends. It just doesn't end. You, you can in one sense, you can never complain enough. You can't make people understand. There are those who love you and care for you and they do believe you and they're going to be helpful. But, you know, in their non-pain, we just kind of get tired of you and your pain telling us about it. That's, that's normal. We have to kind of catch ourselves, remind ourselves that what you're experiencing is very real and that there's great suffering that really is taking place. 
In fact, he even talks about peace leaving him. It's not that he's been banished from the realm of peace, but peace has left him. But there is a phrase that is true that we need to remember, and that is this. God is at work in our lives through adversity. You will, no, matter what is, no matter what is the cause of our suffering, it's never going to be a wasted moment in your life. Never. There are several different references in your bulletin, so I'm not going to always give you time to look them up. I'm just going to read through them. But I want to make sure we have a really good grasp of reality and the work of God in our lives. Because this is an area, what we're talking about here in Lamentations, is not one that is all that popular to talk about. And even when you go through the epistles, it does touch on these things from time to time, but here the focus is just overwhelming. And I do think it's good for us at times, as we are now, over the past several weeks and for a few weeks to come, we are just totally focused on this message, which is really overwhelmingly negative. It's, it's a real bummer to go through this. But again, we, we need to do this because suffering, as we know from just reading scripture, is a part of the Christian life. It's going to be a part of our existence here. And, I, and some of us recognize that as we, as there's a great concern for the world and our country and the direction that we're going in our society, that there's going to be greater discomfort, I think, coming our way. I'm not trying to throw a negative thing. I'm not saying, oh, look out, next Thursday you're going to be arrested. It's not none of those things. But there's a squeezing that's taking place on Christians. Perhaps our children or grandchildren will experience it in a much worse way than we do. But it's coming and we need to be prepared. God's people have always experienced that. And they've come through well. They've done well. We need to make sure we're like that. There are, just so you know, there are many people in other countries that go through great persecution, that do pray for American Christians, that we won't falter when the time comes. And they pray that because many of them are actually concerned that we will. They're concerned that we won't make it, that we're going to turn our backs on God, that if things ended up in our country like it is in their country, they fear there won't be a church here. They, they fear that. There's a church there. They, they saw when communists was at the height of communist rule in China and their crackdown on churches was unbelievable. The church grew. I mean, the church multiplied, I think, 10 times over. But there are many that are concerned that that won't happen here. So we need to be stubborn about that to ensure that will happen. Job 5.17, blessed is the one whom God reproves, therefore despise not the discipline of the Almighty. So don't be like the rebellious teenager who despises their parent who comes down on them because they've broken some rules. We, we need to embrace that and welcome that. James chapter 1, a verse we're all very familiar with, beginning in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So again, that's not telling you that you're going to spontaneously be happy. The idea is that you are thinking about what's going on and you consider to be joyful. You, you, you are at peace and you have contentment with God. So count on all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You know this. That's why you count this joy. There's a reason why you count this joy. Your, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And of course, the lacking in nothing there does not mean that you're lacking in nothing financially. It means the, the character of the individual, of who you are as a Christian, that you are lacking nothing. 
It's amazing when you read about some of these stories of men or, or women who've been prisoners of war or maybe they've been prisoners because of political reasons or those who are prisoners because of religious reasons when they go into these very, very difficult situations that there's stories that come out of those types of camps and prisons where there are certain individuals, normally they're believers, who kind of rise to the top, who in the midst of all that are still ministering to other people. They disregard all the pain and suffering they're going through because it's the same as everyone else, but they're still so consumed with helping others because really of their love for God and the strength that God gives them. It's absolutely incredible. I want to be that kind of individual. I'm not volunteering to be in a prison camp, but if that happens, I still want to be that individual. Proverbs 3.11, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Psalm 118.18, the Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Psalm 119.75, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. So one of the expressions and manifestations of God's faithfulness to you and to me is affliction. Because it's for our good. I just know this, that growing up, you know, I had, you've heard the stories, I had, my father was very strict. There was a lot of affliction I endured. All right? It was for my good. Apparently it was. I would hate to see how I would have turned out if I hadn't had all that discipline. Sometimes it was every day. Well, sometimes it was more than once a day. But I've seen how some people turn out who have none of that. And I don't want to be like that. And so I, I, we, we, some, I'm not saying that you should say, oh, Lord, please afflict me. But at the same time, if you are going through affliction, Lord, help me to learn. Help me to understand. Help me to know. So I want to give you three things that I think that would be helpful. There's a lot of ways to approach suffering. So this is just one way of how we are to think. And this is really more general, but one that I think we should ask the Lord to help us to become this kind of individual. And so number one is this. We need to submit to adversity, to God's discipline. It's a mindset. You submit to it. You submit yourself to the discipline. You submit yourself to the adversity. And that way you'll, you'll be gaining the benefits of that. In, in the same way that when it comes to our children, right, when we discipline our children, our children submitting to that is they respond to the discipline, right? We want them to repent. We want them to change their ways. That's what that means. And so that's, that's what we need to do. I need to submit to adversity, to God's discipline. Do not frustrate the gracious purpose of God by resisting his providence in your life. We can't always see what God is doing, but we can in those times respond in faith, humble faith, which is what? Trusting God to work out in our lives that which we need to learn. God is not making a mistake in this. There are times when, you know, in, my, in the many, many years that I've coached high school football, there are times that there are certain drills that we have certain individuals, depending on what position they play, and I have them go through certain drills, and I tell them in advance, just so you know, you're going to fail miserably every time you do this drill. And I'm going to get on you and get on you and get on you until you get it right. But there's a reason for that. If they submit to what I'm trying to teach them, the drill will begin to have its effect on them. And they will, begin, they will become different, and they will think different, and they will act different, and pretty soon their instincts become very different. 
because they submit themselves. They, they, they go ahead, they, they give into it, and they, and they start trying with 100%, even though they know they're going to be maybe even embarrassed. And when they do that, when that begins to take place, they are transformed into a football player. In my case, it would have been a defensive lineman or maybe an offensive lineman. They're no longer the goofy kid who falls over his own feet. Still may be goofy, but they don't fall over their own feet. And they're, and, they're, and, and they're able to do the things that we want them to do. Same thing in life. It's not difficult. Number two, we always want to bring the Word of God to bear on the situation. So the way that you do that in the beginning is saturate your life with the Word of God now. Don't wait till tribulation comes and then start looking up a verse. I want to find a verse for this. That's, that's, that's not all that helpful. If you saturate yourself now with the Word of God, the Word of God will come flowing in your mind. You, you will know where to turn or you will, you will remember certain verses. The Lord will use those things in your life. God's not going to remind you of Bible verses you don't know. He's not going to bring to memory things you've never read before. And so we need to read the Word of God now just on a regular basis. There's no rush. Just read it every day. Just work your way through the Word of God. And when it comes to Bible study, pay attention and study the Word of God. Make notes if you have to. And the repetition, the cumulative effect of that is that as we become saturated with the Scripture, then this is what the Spirit of God uses when we go through these times. And so we're thinking in, in, with the paradigm. I'm looking through the lens of the Word of God. And so oftentimes adversity enhances the teaching of the Word. So as you saturate your life now with the Word of God, then when you begin to go through adversity, continue to read the Word of God. And what normally happens if you are submitting to that, the Word of God actually becomes almost more vivid. You begin to notice certain words you didn't notice before. Because it's now speaking, God is using it to speak to your heart. Not in a magical way, but it's connecting to whatever you're experiencing and how you're responding emotionally. And maybe you begin to recognize the comfort of the Lord. You know, you're going through despair and life is hard and all these things. And next thing you know, you're reading these verses that you've read before. But what you see in it is a greater tenderness of God. And that ministers to your heart. And so there's this vividness that, that kind of comes to life in the pages of Scripture as you read those things. And so it makes it much more profitable to us. It can clarify our understanding. There's been times when you're reading through passages and now because of what you're experiencing, you go back and you reread something and you go, now I understand what he's talking about. Now I get it. Now I really, now I'm able to wrap my mind around that because of what this says. And so it's amazing how God uses his word in our life in that way. Those things passed, we just passed over them before. It's not that you were negligent, it's not that you're dumb, but in those times, the Word of God becomes vivid in very unique ways. Thirdly, it's this. To profit from these times of adversity, you need to remember them. You need to remember them. And the lessons we learn from them. Let me read to you from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, beginning in verse 2. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandment or not. And he humbled you, and he let you hunger, and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The key to that is to remember. And so there are times, we, you know, when, my, when we were raising our kids when they were young, 
there were certain events in her life that, we would, that I would remind them of. All right, there, were, there were small events that to us would mean a great deal. Most people would think nothing of it. But, you know, we, we moved to the Big Island of Hawaii. I was, I was pastoring a church in Kaimuki in Hawaii and believed that God wanted me to be a full-time jail chaplain. And so we moved. We moved to this house. We didn't, we didn't have anything. I mean, we didn't even have silverware. And what was interesting is that when we had moved to the, the parsonage in the church I was at, we had been given a set of silverware for a wedding gift. But there was silverware that was there in the house. And so this thing is sitting, you know, year after year. And so there was a, a couple that we knew that were getting married, and they didn't have anything. And Cindy and I decided to give them our, this very nice set of silverware because they didn't have anything. And so now we moved to the Big Island. Now we don't have silverware. We don't have nothing. The very first person that came over to welcome us to the Big Island was a lady, and she said, I don't know why I've kept it all these years, but I have an extra set of silverware. Could you use it? Ah, I thought that was terrific. To us, that was an indication from God that he was going to provide for our needs. And he did in amazing ways. So we need to remember, so I remind my, I remind my kids of those kinds of events that took place. And we need to do that. And whether it's adversity or a blessing, we need to remind ourselves of these things so that we can remember that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. The Lord will provide. Hold on to the Lord Jesus Christ. Cling to him, but not in your own strength. Depend upon the Lord and his strength through you. And the way that you do that, the way that you, because I'm not going to tell you how we avoid what Jeremiah went through, because there's not always a way to avoid that, because that comes from God. But we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in dread. We can Look forward to all that life is bringing because we are becoming prepared. And we become prepared, you know what, in the same old-fashioned way. We read the Word of God. We live by the Word of God. We hold each other accountable to the Word of God. We pray for each other. We pray with each other. And we do this together. So whether we are alone or together, we will be strengthened to endure the times of adversity. God will never leave you alone. You will feel alone, like Jeremiah did, but he was never alone. God did not abandon him, and God will not abandon you. Let's pray. <coughs> Father in heaven, we thank you again for your grace, love, and kindness, and your faithfulness. Father, it is at times difficult for us to really wrap our minds around what Jeremiah was experiencing. The depth of pain and suffering that he went through it seems to be truly phenomenal. And we know that Jesus, the Bible says, was well acquainted with grief. He was a man of sorrows. So Lord, we, we know, we know what the word says. We know that we're going to go through difficult times. Some of us have been through difficult times in varying degrees. But Father, we want to do so as faithful children. So we ask that you prepare our hearts for that. We thank you, Lord, that again we have you to depend upon knowing you'll never leave us or abandon us. And we are most grateful, Father, that with all the suffering this world has and all the suffering we may have to endure, 
there really is a time coming when that will be over with. And that will be done. And there will be no more suffering. And so, Father, until that day comes, we ask that you help us to never cower from any situation. The Lord, you would fill us with the strength of your spirit. And to be willing to face these difficulties and these issues square on. And we'll do so in the strength of God. May we be there for each other. For those who are going through difficulties, may we be there to help them and to pray for them and to encourage them. We pray, Lord, that when we go through those times, that you'll bring your people alongside us. And Father, we may experience your love and strength through them. Father, we thank you again for the message you are giving to us through Lamentations. And we do ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.